for the Lord in prayer. The scripture reading for this morning is taken from the Gospel of Luke. We'll find Luke to be the third gospel in the New Testament. The Gospel of Luke. And we'll be looking at chapter 2. Reading the verses 8 to 21. So our Lord Jesus Christ was just born in the town of Bethlehem, the little town of Bethlehem. Mary has wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and she's laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And so they were in this stable. And we read, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So far, the word of God. In response to the scripture reading, the text for this morning will be taken from the same passage that we read. We'll be focusing on Luke 2, the verses 8 to Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, today is Christmas Eve. What a special time of year this is. We get a chance to celebrate with loved ones and to remember the entrance of our precious Savior into the world. Of course, we know that tomorrow, December the 25th, was not actually the day that Jesus was born. Shepherds were not in the fields overnight 
during December. Since December is the winter season in Judea, meaning it's cold and rainy, they probably would have found shelter for their flocks overnight back home in the fold. But regardless of that, we recognize that it's still important to celebrate Christ's birth. And so, since we don't know the day for sure, we've set aside a time in order to celebrate during these winter months, a time that we can dedicate to this special event. But during this time, with all the, the lights and the festivity, with all the enjoyment of each other's company, do we set aside time to think what we're actually celebrating? Do we ever stop to consider how amazing this event truly is? Ever since the beginning, man has been in a state of disrepair. God created him good. That's certainly true. But man fell into sin. He was tempted and he fell into sin. And he ran trembling from God. As the Apostle Paul says, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to all men because all sinned. Ever since that day, we are all broken and corrupt. We stand before a terrifyingly holy and pure God. Yet despite all of that, God, who dwells in unapproachable light, He looks down from heaven on mankind and says, I'm not done with these people. I want to show my love to them. Yes, He shows His love to us, even when we are first considered enemies. He calls the hopeless, the helpless, the weak and the weary, even if they were enemies, to come to him. And he says, come to me and I'll give you rest. As evidence of this, he sends his only son into the world in order to make this possible for them. This condescension on the part of God is magnificent. It's a cause for rejoicing. Christ's coming to earth was a sign that God bridged the unbridgeable divide between us and between Him. That even though our sins may stretch close to infinity for the number of them, it's infinity that closes the gap. And it's that that we're reflecting on today and that we'll be celebrating tomorrow. Brothers and sisters, Christ our Lord has been born. And we'll see today as we look at our passage, first the heavenly announcement and second an earthly confirmation. The setting we find our shepherds in is rural Judea, near a little town called Bethlehem. It's probably closer to the warmer months at this point in time. So we find the shepherds sleeping outside with the sheep instead of gathering them into the fold. They would be pushing their flocks to greener pastures further out. So it would be less sensible for them to keep on going out and then coming back in to the fold every single day. No, they would keep them out in the field. But to keep them out in the field means that they need to keep watch. 
If you remember King David talking about taking care of the sheep, if you look back to the Old Testament and you hear about him taking care of the sheep, he talked about fighting off wild animals. Of course, most have died off in present-day Israel, most of the ones that they refer to. But there were some historically that they would have to watch out for. Lions, for example, get more active at dusk. There were other predators that they would have to keep an eye out for as well. Never mind that you might get a sheep that gets it into its head that it wants to wander off for the night. They needed to be alert. There would be a few on guard and shifts while the others slept, ready to wake everyone else at a moment's notice. And indeed, these shepherds were ready. But nothing, nothing, prepare them for what they were to see that night. Imagine the darkness and the stillness of the night. Far away from any city lights, the dark expanse of the sky overhead, and nothing but the quiet night sounds, the wind rustling through the grass. And then suddenly the darkness is pierced by a blinding light surrounding a heavenly figure, and the dark is shattered by a voice announcing like a herald before the coming of a king. The shepherds scramble up in astonishment, and the glory of the Lord fills the sky above where the angels are, terrifying in its beauty and awesome in its majesty. What a startling and marvelous sight that must have been. This was an angel who had come from the presence of the Lord himself, carrying with him the radiance of God's glory. Now, reflected glory is is not something that's unheard of for the shepherds. They would have known how, how Moses, when God spoke to him, left these meetings with his face covered in a veil, because his face shone so brightly from that reflected glory that people couldn't bear to look on him. But they had never expected to see it themselves. How it terrified them. If merely being in the presence of God's glory can do this to creatures, to created beings, brothers and sisters, consider how much greater is God's glory in itself. If merely being in God's presence could bathe you in a radiance that is terrible to behold for sinful men, being in God's radiance itself would cause us to drop dead at the sight. Little wonder that such terror filled the hearts of men. They were filled with fear. Such was the great gap between God and between man. I think today we tend to lose sight of this a little bit. Our society has the tendency of thinking of God as some powerless, white-bearded man in the sky. He's well-meaning, but he's not always in control. And when you sin, he's like the visiting old uncle who chuckles at his nephew's temper tantrum. It's not that big of a deal. and kind of sweeps it under the carpet. As long as you live a decently good life, then he'll ignore it. But the Bible is very clear about the holiness of God. And the shepherds here are given a stark reminder of that once again. We have a God who is 
terrible in splendor and radiant in glory. And God who is absolutely righteous and absolutely good. Not just a relative good, but a pure, undiminished good that shatters the limits of our imagination. Do we recognize this holiness of God? There's such a great gap between God and between men. It almost seems that man cannot be with God. If he can't even stand in the presence of God's glory, God's reflected glory, without his heart filling with terror and anxiousness like happened with these shepherds, how is it possible that he can even think of entering the presence of God? How could the people hope to enjoy the promise of Emmanuel, the promise of God with us? But then the angel speaks. We read, Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Don't be afraid, the angel says. For where man cannot come into the presence of God, God himself reaches out to man. God himself takes the first step in expressing his love towards you. I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. As this reaching out, as his reaching out was an expression of God's care for humanity, the need for the shepherds to fear him was gone. Instead, the angel has good news. He brings good tidings. The Greek word is rooted in the word for spreading the gospel news. It's a message that's meant to be shared. On top of that, it's a message that's one of great joy. Rarely in Luke's writings will you find a reference to this good news, this gospel news, without a reference to the joy that comes as a response to the news that this salvation is coming and that this salvation has come. And so this angel is literally saying, I evangelized you with great joy. I'm not just sharing a message, I'm sharing joy with you. What an example this faithful heavenly servant is for us. Do we remember that when we're sharing the gospel, we're speaking joy, peace, and liberty into people's lives? Is that the message that they get from us when we interact with them, when we speak with them? The gospel is so much more than just an intellectual message. It's life-transforming. We're proclaiming joy to people. We also read that this news will be for all people. Now, at this point, it's a message that's given within the context of the people of Israel. So he's saying for, for all the Jewish people, he's speaking to the, uh, he's speaking to the shepherds as representatives of all, all of you people. 
from the entire beginning of the Gospel of Luke, we've seen this as being aimed at the people of God, this, this messenger, this forerunner who has come first, the Messiah who is announced at the hour of prayer in Luke chapter 1. The shepherds, too, would understand it as being a message of good news for all the people of God, all the Jews in Israel and in the diaspora, the many lands in which the Jews were scattered to. The fact that this reference to all people means all with a vested interest, namely all all of those Jews, at this point in time, is commonly held by many commentators. But the, the beautiful thing is that after the coming of Jesus Christ, we can read so much more into these words. Because what was initially something for the Jews has now become something for all God's people, Jews and Gentiles. People from every tongue and tribe and language and nation, they can rejoice in this passage. Suddenly, after the angel has has brought them this message, a multitude of angels fills the air, proving that this is no lone voice. This is no rogue messenger from heaven. This isn't just a single witness coming from God. Rather, all of heaven bears witness with one voice to this reality, singing glory to God in the highest and on earth, Peace, goodwill to men. The coming of a Savior may have been a response to promises and prophecies given to the Jews, but the outcome would stretch far beyond the borders of Israel and the people of God. Where man could not come to God, God himself came to man. Christ, as we read in Philippians 2 verse 7, although equal with God, chose to make himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And the proof of this reality would be found in the presence of this precious child, wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in a manger, laid in a feed trough for animals. This was the message that the people were bringing with joy, that the angels were bringing with joy. This was the message that led them to say glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill to men. At this point, as we take our eyes off of the heavenly hosts and their glory and move them towards earthly things, it's important to know how this message is brought to us. In the ancient world, and in our church today. It's important that evidence be brought to bear on the testimony of two or more witnesses. Matthew 18. As this is the case, it wasn't just one angel that brought forward the message. It was a whole host. That's also why when the angels appeared, they didn't just appear to one person, but they appeared to all of those shepherds who were there at that time. A whole group of shepherds instead of just an individual. As that was the case, this made the message one that was trustworthy and true. Now, some people tried to make a big deal of the fact that it was the shepherds to whom the angels appeared. And they argued that the shepherds were not accepted in society. 
They were the dregs. They were the despised. That was a theory that floated around for a little while, but more recent scholarship has laid it to rest. There's no reason to think that their message would be called into question simply by the fact that they were shepherds. No, in fact, more often we find in Scripture that shepherds were not despised among the people of God. David was a shepherd before he became king. Shepherds were the ones who provided sheep and lambs for the temple sacrifices. They were just everyday, ordinary people. The main point of this message coming to shepherds was the fact that God wasn't coming to the rich. He wasn't coming to the proud or the influential. You had royalty and religious leaders right around the corner, about 20 kilometers away in Jerusalem. They were proud and influential people in their time, but God wasn't coming to those. He was coming to people who were of humble estate. As the Bible says in the book of James, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And again in 1 Corinthians 1, he says, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put the sh- to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised. God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. It's amazing how frequently God does this. We already see this in the verses leading up to this, with the story of Zechariah. God chooses a barren old woman and her husband to bring the forerunner into the world. He chooses a young virgin to bring his son into the world. And he chooses you to share this gospel message with those who are around to confirm its power here on earth to all who would hear. You might think, me? But who am I that anyone would listen to me? I'm not influential among my friends. I'm not popular or well-liked. I'm not well-trained. I'm not a good speaker. All I'm doing, all I'm good at doing is just living it out every day. I'm going to stick with what I know best, say nothing, and hope that someone is influenced by the way I live. Yeah, God uses instruments like you every day. Don't be discouraged if you feel inadequate, brothers and sisters. Don't feel less than able simply because someone else seems to have it more together than you do. Don't feel like all you can do is just live a good life and hope that someone might see it and connect the dots and be influenced to become a Christian. No, be hopeful. And be joyful. Because God's choosing the foolish things of this earth, the humble and the weak, has power. Look at what happened to the shepherds. They were stunned by the glory of God. They hear the command not to fear and the proclamation of who the Messiah, the Christ is, and where he can be found. Maybe they left someone to keep the sheep in place. But as for them, on having heard this message, they leave everything behind and they run to him. They run to him with hearts overflowing with joy. 
Oh, that such a reaction would always be ours. That on hearing where Christ is, on hearing where He may be found, we would run to Him. They arrive in Bethlehem. We don't know if they went running through the town, looking through different animal shelters, or if they found him on the first try. The Bible doesn't say. But when they do arrive, they look on him in wonder. You know, this could have been a moment in which they stared at him in disgust, right? This humble child, just wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in a manger, in a feed trough for animals, this was the Christ. This was the long-expected, long-prophesied one who would save his people and be called Lord. This babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in such a humble situation. But no. Instead, they recognized him for who he is. They look past his earthly appearance and they see the fulfillment of the word that they had received from heaven. And when they had seen him, their joy runs over. They can't keep it in. They too caught the joy that overwhelmed the angels and caused them to burst into song. This joy that the angels evangelized into their lives took root and spread to all those around. They went and told everyone. And they returned to their flock, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. Not too long ago, I heard a story of a woman who was talking about when she had come to faith. And she was uh, working, uh, she was in her workplace, and she would always bring her Bible. She was just fresh to the faith, new to the faith, and she would bring her Bible to her workplace, and she would just study through it and take notes. And then people would come by and say, what are you doing? Oh, I'm studying the Bible. Well then, one day, one woman came, and she sat down beside her, and she said, I want to learn too. And so she went and looked for a course, found Christianity Explored, And she said, I stayed one week ahead of that woman. She knew nothing, but this joy that she had found just overflowed her heart. And she wanted to share that with this coworker who was one week behind her in the faith. It was just something that was dazzling for her. Let this choosing of mere shepherds by God the foolish things of this world, grant you a simple but firm confidence that you too can speak into your own world. You too can touch the people in your life, whether they're Christian or non-Christian. You can present the gospel or encourage people in their walk. You can tell people of their sin and hopelessness, their need, and that there is a way out. There is a Savior who has come down. God has sent his son down from heaven to bridge this infinite gap between him and between us. Because the power isn't in you. It's in God's word and in his spirit. God's gospel message is a message of power. 
And this power can enter this world using you as an instrument, no matter how humble you are or how stumbling your tongue or your intellect. If any of you are here today and you're hearing the gospel for the first time today, it's my prayer that whoever you approach would speak to you this confession. Today I celebrate that Christ came into the world to be my Savior. God sent his Son into this world and that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Through Christ, God granted me a way to be right with him. We're unable to reach out to him, and so this was his reaching out from his glory, from his blinding radiance, reaching out in love to us first. And this can be true for you too. All you need to do is believe in this humble infant, born to a virgin and laid in a manger, that he came to take your sins on himself, and that he now lives and reigns in glory for your benefit until he comes again in glory. Amen.